Hello True Crimers and we're back with another episode of VLC. I'm Chloe and today we have our first ever two-parter episode. This is a huge, long and truly gruesome case. We're going to be talking about one of Britain's most prolific serial killers of the 1980s, Mr. Dennis Nielsen. Buckle up, this is going to be one of those crimes that you will never forget. So, without further ado, if you can serve the time, then get ready for some vodka, lemonade and crime. Some warm up straws. Get my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. You <laughs> said it twice as well. <laughs> Mate, you need to calm down. <laughs> I sat the front row, man. Drama. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sure plenty of podcasts are talking about that this week. Today we're going to be looking at the Dennis Nielsen case. Like I said in the intro, this is a really long case. This is the first two-parter episode we've ever done on vodka lemonade and crime. So I'm giving you the honour of being the co-host again for this episode, George. Yay. <laughs> are you excited for this case? I'm actually super excited Yeah, for this you've been case. talking about it all week, so yeah. uh, I don't actually know anything about this was it Desmond? So his name is Dennis Nielsen. I knew his name. But he told everyone that knew him, including his victims, to call him Des. Wow. And that was actually significant in the trial as well. Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that later on, probably in the second part. So the cocktail that we are drinking for today's episode isn't actually a t cocktail at all. This is the first time we're actually drinking just a straight liquor. We're drinking just standard spiced rum from Sainsbury's. And this is significant to the case because rum was actually Dennis's favourite choice of liquor to drink. And this was significant during the trial. All right, so... Dennis Nielsen, he was born on the 23rd of November 1945 and was Britain's most prolific serial killer of the 1980s. He was born in Aberdeenshire, Scotland to Elizabeth Duthie White and Olaf Magnus Mocksheim, who adopted the surname Nielsen. Dennis had an older brother named Olaf Jr. and a younger sister named Sylvia. Dennis's father was a Norwegian soldier who had travelled to Scotland in 1940 as a part of the Free Norwegian Forces, following the German occupation of Norway. After a brief courtship, he married Elizabeth White in May 1942. The newlyweds moved into her parents' house. However, the marriage was rocky. Dennis's father did not view married life with any seriousness, being preoccupied with his duties with the free Norwegian forces and making little attempt to spend time with or find a new home for his wife. After the birth of her third child, Dennis's mother concluded that she had rushed into marriage without thinking and the couple divorced in 1948. As a result, the paternal role of their children was fulfilled by their maternal grandfather, Andrew White, so Elizabeth's mother, um, Elizabeth's, <laughs> Elizabeth's father. 
Yeah. Dennis's grandfather. Okay. As a young child, Dennis was very close to his grandfather and would eagerly wait for him whilst he was fishing out at sea. On October the 31st, 1951, a month before Dennis's sixth birthday, White sadly died of a heart attack while he was fishing in the North Sea. His body was brought back to the family home for burial because this was a common thing back then. They would bring the bodies to the house, not to... Um, uh, um, a funeral morgue um, funeral home like yeah. Yeah. yeah um so they would bring the bodies back to the house um and dennis's mother actually said to him you you know you can see the body at, you know he wasn't even six years old um and it wasn't explained to dennis at the time that his grandfather was was dead he explained it was explained to dennis that his grandfather was just asleep and that was the first time that dennis had seen somebody who was who was dead not the last, I assume. Not the last. Dum, dum, dum. And this was significant later on in how Dennis describes his relationship with death, with Brian Masters, the man who wrote his biography and developed a cr- close relationship with him throughout his time in prison. In the following years, to the death of his grandfather, Dennis became more quiet and withdrawn, often standing alone at the harbour watching the heron boats. At home, he seldom participated in family activities and retreated from any attempts by adult family members to demonstrate any affection towards him. Dennis's mother remarried a builder named Andrew Scott. Dennis viewed him as an unfair disciplinarian. The family moved into Strichen in 1955. Where's that? Uh, it's still in Aberdeenshire in Scotland. It's mm. just um, in a different neighbourhood. During his teenagers, Dennis realised that he didn't identify with being heterosexual. Initially, this confused him and he felt really ashamed. Dennis didn't know if he was homosexual or bisexual because the boys he attracted to looked suspiciously like his sister. It was recorded that Dennis actually fondled both his sister and then later his older brother whilst he slept. But Olaf Jr., so Dennis's older brother, awoke during the incident was playing out and as a result began to suspect that his brother was homosexual and regularly belittled him in public, referring to Dennis as a hen, which is the Scottish dialect for girl. So after this incident, his older brother belittled him for a a long time and this seemed to be a running thing throughout their relationship Hmm. further on into his teenagers dennis found stitchham boring uh with limited career opportunities so he started dreaming about you know the world wider than that small neighborhood in aberdeenshire in scotland at the age of 14 he joined the army cadet force viewing the british army as a potential avenue for escape in his rural origins moving into Dennis's army service. So following high school in 1961, Dennis decided he wanted to join the British army and train to be a chef. Dennis passed the entrance examinations and received official notification that he was to enlist for nine years of service in September 1961, commencing his training with the Army Catering Corps at St Omer Barracks in Aldershot, Hampshire. While stationed at Aldershot, Dennis's latent feelings began to stir. But he kept his sexual orientation well hidden from his colleagues. Dennis never showered in the company of his fellow soldiers for fearing of developing any sexual attraction towards his colleagues. Instead, he opted to bathe alone in the bathroom. should say as well mm-hmm. that at that time, until 
the year 2000 it was illegal to be gay in the armed forces as well oh that's a really good point so in mid 1964 dennis passed his initial catering exam and was officially assigned to the 1st Battalion of the Royal Fusiliers in Osnabrück, West Germany. Am I pronouncing that right? Osnabrück? I say, I'm, not, I'm not German. I, so. I know, but you're better at pronouncing Am things I? Than at me. German words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I assume so. Osnabrück. <laughs> that sounds Russian. I don't know where he served as a private. It was during the first deployment that he started to increase his alcohol intake. His colleagues reported that he often drank in excess to ease his shyness. On one occasion, Dennis drank so heavily that he passed out and woke up on the floor of an apartment owned by a German friend of his that he developed whilst he was out there. Though no sexual activity occurred, this sparked Dennis's unnerving fantasies. So this was the first time that Dennis reported having quite disturbing fantasies, which initially involved his sexual partner, invariably a young slender male, being completely passive, or like mostly immobile, so not moving. Dennis even purposely drank heavily and pretended to pass out in the hopes that one of his colleagues would make sexual advances on him. His fantasies of engaging in sexual activities with immobile partners eventually escalated to his partner being unconscious and even dead. So it was during his time based out in Germany in his first base abroad that he started developing these really unnerving fantasies. In 1967, he was deployed to the state of Aden, formerly Aden Colony, I think that's how you pronounce it, where he again served as a cook at the Al-Mansura prison. This posting was more dangerous than his previous postings in West Germany or Norway, and Dennis later recalled his regiment losing several men, often in ambushes en route to the army barracks. Dennis was actually kidnapped by a taxi driver who beat him unconscious and placed him in the boot of his car. Upon being dragged out of the boot of the taxi, Dennis grabbed a jack handle and knocked the taxi driver to the floor, beating him unconscious. He then locked the man in the boot of the taxi. Unlike his other postings this time, Dennis actually had been provided with a private room. It was where his fantasies developed even further. They became unambiguously necrophilic after he discovered the painting of the Raft of Medusa. Do you know the painting of the Raft of Medusa? No, I don't, no. So the Raft of Medusa is actually um, an old painting and de- depicts an old man, old man holding a limp, nude body of a dead young male and he sits aside um, the disadmembered bodies of other young males as well. Do you want me to show you a picture of it? Yeah, yeah, I assume it's something to do with, obviously, something to do with Greek mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medusa was the... Exactly. And it's, I think it's like on a boat. Your knowledge of classical art and literature is... No, it's it's not up there. No, it's... (laughs) I mean, I'm not adding much more value than you are, but... Yeah, it's on a boat. Okay. So it's just like, it's like that on a raft. Oh, okay. Wow. 
Following brief stays in Britain and Cyprus, he was destined again to go to Germany. This is where he hired a prostitute for the first time so that he could have sexual intercourse with a woman and this would be his first ever time having sexual intercourse with a woman. Mm -hmm. Dennis found the experience really overrated and depressing and concluded that he was indeed homosexual. Okay. So leaving the army. Dennis retired from the army in 1972 and returned to Strichen in Aberdeenshire in Scotland where all of his family lived. His mother repeatedly voiced her concern for his lack of interest in female companionship. A fight between Dennis and his brother ensued and after its conclusion Dennis's brother told their mother that Dennis was homosexual. This led to an argument between Dennis and his brother and in December he left Strichen for London where he joined the Metropolitan Police Force. In April 1973, Dennis completed his training and was posted to Williston Green. Still a cadet and junior constable, he performed several arrests, but he never had to physically subdue a member of the public. Dennis enjoyed the work, but missed the camaraderie of the army. He began to drink alone in the evenings, and during the summer and autumn of 1973, Dennis began frequently visiting gay pubs and engaged in several casual relationships with men. And around after a year in the police, Dennis resigned. Now, when I was watching the drama over the week of Dennis's discovery of of his crimes, the police asked him what made him leave the Met and he said homophobia. What was the, do we know what the Met's policy was? At the time, obviously the MOD had that pretty strict policy, but um, I'm not sure what the MO, um, sorry, what the Met Police's policy on homosexuality at the time was. But in the drama, the character of Des said that he left the Met Police for homophobia. Hmm, okay. So whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that is what it said in the drama. Between December 1973 and May 1974, Nielsen worked as a security guard. The work was intermittent and he resolved to find more stable and secure employment. So this is after he's resigned from the Met Police. Mm -hmm. He found work as a civil servant in May 1974. He was initially posted to a job centre in Denmark Street, where his primary role was to find employment for labourers. During his employment, it was said that Dennis rarely interacted with his colleagues. Denmark Street is where all the guitar shops are now in London. Oh, right. It's that place I always try to drag you to, but you don't want to go. Oh, fair fair enough. Okay. Um, So Dennis rarely interacted with his colleagues and was known as a bit of a workaholic. He had a number of relationships during his time. In the civil service? Yes. Don't believe you. (laughs) Nope. He had a number of relationships during this time, but they never lasted long. This made him think that he wasn't cut out for long-term relationships. So, again, during this time, he's had to have relationships and none of them have worked. And he was quite an insular colleague. Hmm. But it was said that he was really skilled when it came... He A lot of large part of his role was interviewing people because he worked as job centre officer trying to get people into jobs so he was quite had good interpersonal skills with that regard um he could hold a conversation you know mm-hmm. this room is going down horribly by the way <laughs> <laughs> a nice sunday evening drink no <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Alright, now we're going to move into setting the scene for the murders. Okay, so, sorry, just to recap then. Yep, let's recap. He's currently a civil servant. Yes. He was a policeman for... A year. A year one, no, just one year. Just under a year, And yeah. then before that he was a soldier for nine years. Yes. He's... I believe so, it was nine years. Yeah. He's Scottish. He's Scottish. He's got a bit of a messed up relationship with his father slash father figure. His dad left, granddad well, died. Yeah, his dad his left, his granddad passed away, yeah. and then his older brother. Oh, and his older brother. So he's got a bit of a messed up family situation. Yes. Bit of a drifter. Not drifter, that's not that's not. Yeah, I, I would say that he was, I, I think he would describe him as a bit of a drifter. He was a bit of a loner. That bit is, of a loner, not yeah. drifter, because he did do nine years in the army. That's not, yeah. that's not drifting, but... Yeah, he, yeah, he's not that sociable by the sounds of it, and now he's mm. a civil servant. Yeah, and yeah, working in the job centre in Denmark Street. Yeah, where all the guitar shops are now. Exactly. <laughs> That's how we know it. <laughs> there okay. we go. That's how you're picturing it. So at this time, Dennis lived in North London, in a suburb of Muswell Hill, in a middle-class residential area known as Cranley Gardens. He lived in a large house that was split up into three flats. The ground floor was occupied by a lady named Fiona and her. Uh, by a lady named Fiona Bridge and her boyfriend, Jim Alcock, whilst the first floor remained vacant and then Dennis lived at the very top flat. <coughs> Dennis's flat actually comprised of two rooms, a living room and a bedroom, a kitchen and a bathroom, and Dennis shared the flat with his dog named Bleep, which was a black mongrel dog. Bleep. Bleep. Bleep, bleep. In February 1983, Fiona Bridges' boyfriend, Jim, noticed that the toilets on the ground floor would not flush. Jim tried to clear the blockage with acid, but whatever was causing the blockage resisted. So they decided to call a plumber. A plumber named Mike Welch was called out to the residence, and Fiona actually bumped into Dennis in the hallway and asked if he was having any problems with his toilets to which she said no there weren't any issues with my toilets and carried on upstairs to his flat so fiona um and jim kind of described dennis as not really seeing him much very much kept to himself and just very short conversations in passing in the hallway mm -hmm. as demonstrated by that conversation so when the plumber arrived he uh, went to investigate the blockage and he tried his best but he couldn't find whatever it was that was blocking the toilets. So he called for a specialist with better equipment to come in and check it out. A man named Katran concluded that the problem was most likely underground. His name was Katran? His last name was Katran. Oh, okay, right. I thought, just what? I just have one name. <laughs> it's Katran. <laughs> it's his last name, like sorry. Batman. Yeah, right, so anyway. Katran, the specialist plumber. Okay, so he's not, he's not a pop star or anything, he's no, just a no, plumber. No, he's just a... He, no, 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 he's a specialist plumber. Yeah, and also, it's not just a plumber, it's, a no, it's, a, it's an important trade, but yeah, he, he has more than one name. Is the, exactly. It's kind of what my question is. Katran's his last name, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so he concluded, <laughs> Katran concluded that the problem was most likely below ground and he would have to go down into the manhole cover, which was just down the side of the house. So if you imagine, we've got this, um, the house is a large Victorian style house. Mm -hmm. It was white with like Tudor beams, black Tudor beams. Yeah. And it was a large semi-detached house mm. and it had a side access to the garden mm -hmm. and down the side access to the garden was a manhole cover mm -hmm. where you could go down and check out the plumbing from under the ground. Mm -hmm. 
You following? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Katran's going down into the manhole cover and Jim, Fiona's boyfriend, hmm. is holding the torch for him at the top so that he can see what's going on. So he enters the manhole cover and as soon as he's down there, he noticed just an awful smell. And he's he's notices straight away that this isn't the usual smell of excrement. He's like, what on earth is this smell? And then Jim, who was holding the torch, could smell it. And he was he wasn't in the manhole cover. He was standing at the top holding the torch down. And he was like, I am just convinced that is the smell of rotting flesh. All over the floor, when you shone the torch down, there was this porridge-like substance. And it was eight inches thick and it was composed of about 30 pieces of flesh all different colors of yellow and gray horrific oh. so not to alarm anyone because they weren't 100 percent sure what they had seen katran decided to ensure that this was actually what they suspected and decided to notify his manager of the specialist plumber, plumber company to say right let's get him down here is this something that I'm not aware of that sometimes happens with drains or something? Um, so they decided to ex inspect it again. The next morning is the earliest time that the manager could get down and inspect it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Following that, the inspection, if, it, if they were still concerned, they were going to call the authorities. So that same night, Fiona and Jim, who's on the ground floor flat so they can they're pretty much right next to that manhole cover lucky them they reported that they heard noises from outside of somebody rattling around in the manhole cover and then jim went out into the hallway very early on in the morning and dennis was coming inside and he had his sleeves rolled up and jim was like that's really weird where where have you been? And he said, oh, I, I was just going outside for a pee because the toilets are blocked, so I can't use the toilets. So that's what he said. And he went, carried on upstairs to his flat. And then very shortly after, Katran came back with his, the manager of the plumbing company. Mm. And Dennis at this point had gone to work. So he went on to his day at work in the job centre mm. whilst they were inspecting the manhole cover. They arrived, they went down into the manhole again to find out that the blockage had been completely cleared. And Katran was just absolutely astounded. He said, there was absolutely no way that this blockage would have been cleared by just rainfall or just mm. cleared from the plumbing moving. So you think it was Dennis? So he said, this has been cleared. He was like, this has been cleared. There's no way this would have been moved naturally. Mm. So... He went down to have a closer look and he actually put his head inside the drain which leads to the sewage and he pulled out pieces of meat and bones from inside the drain and it smelt like something from a slaughterhouse. Mm. It was unbearable. Fiona Bridges came out to tell Katran at this point and his manager that she had heard those noises from the manhole cover during the night and that she was really scared. And at this point, they were like, right, we need to call the police. This was really weird. Detective Chief Inspector Peter Jay, Detective Inspector Stephen McCusker and Detective Constable Jeffrey Butler were called to the scene. 
the flesh and bones were bagged and taken to a professor in forensic medicine to examine them. It was then confirmed that the flesh was indeed human and most likely from the neck region and the bones were from a male skull. The detectives waited for Dennis to get home from work that day. He arrived home sharply at 5.40pm. The, the three policemen and Dennis went up to the flat on the top floor. There was a little bit of exchange between them at this point out in the front garden. They said, well, you know, why? He, uh, they said, oh, we're here about the drains. He said, well, why would they call the police out for blocked drains? Yeah. Kind of trying to play dumb. Mm. Made his way up to the flat. As soon as they opened the door, really strong stench up in that flat. So at first, Dennis tried to play dumb to the police's questioning about the human remains in the drainage system. But it wasn't before long that he confessed. DCI Peter J asked, where's the rest of the body? To which Dennis replied with an air of indifference in two plastic bags in the wardrobe, I'll show you. They went through to the living room where Dennis pointed to a wardrobe in the corner of the room. DCIJ said that there was no need to open it as the smell was confirmation enough. The detectives asked if there was anything else we should know to which Dennis replied, it's a long story, it goes back a long time and I'll tell you everything. I wanna get it off my chest, but not here at the police station. Dennis was cautioned and arrested on suspicion of murder in the car on the way to the police station, Dennis was asked, how many bodies are we talking? Is it one or two? Dennis replied, 15 or 16 since 1978. Oh my God. Three at Cranley Gardens and about 13 at my previous address at 195 Malrose Avenue in Crinklewood. And we're leaving it there for this oh, episode. Wow. <laughs> that, that's good. That's a good place to leave it. I'm very, yeah. I want to know what happens. So I guess I'll be here, won't I? Yeah, yeah, that is the first part to the Dennis Nielsen case, wow. and you are just getting into it. I tell you what, this has been the most gruesome and twisted case ever. Hmm. Okay, so that is it for part one of the Dennis Nielsen case. You can catch part two next week, and as always, thanks so much for listening, and go follow us over on socials at Vodka Lemonade and Crime, and leave us a review. It means so, so much. And if you can serve the time, then join us in the next one of Vodka, Lemonade and Crime. Bye.